0: Are you doing liquid church, good to see you guys. Special shout out to those of you in New Brunswick or Nutley watching on the big screen. Glad you're here. I also need to give a special welcome today. I need to say, Bienvenidos a la iglesia, mis hermanos, to our Spanish listeners. We're beginning. Translation and Espanol. And we are glad you are here. Muy excitado. That meant very excited. That probably doesn't mean it like that. But uh, you'll enjoy my Spanglish as we go along. Uh, Glad you're here because um, this is kind of neat. We're we're, we're starting today what I hope is going to be kind of a groundbreaking series for our church. We are calling Touch. And I want to begin this way. Everybody hold up your index finger to the sky. Everybody holding up your index finger. Okay, point up, fingers up. I want you to do something weird. I want you right now to reach out and touch your neighbor on the shoulder. One touch, you're showing... Go ahead, reach out to... I know, in New Jersey, this could get you killed, right? We're not trying to start a fight here. You're touching me, I get that. As mod, It's kind of weird. As moderns, we don't like to kind of invade people's personal space, but to touch, actually reaching out to put your hand on somebody, it's kind of core of what it means to be human. I don't know if you know this, newborn babies, this is fascinating, if they don't experience the touch of their mother's skin, if they're not held close within the first 72 hours they actually begin to physically decline. Not, not, ju- not just a, a lack of human touch actually contributes to their emotional um, uh, development to diminish if they're not touched. That touch of kindness, of love, is actually what it means to be human and actually a follower of Christ. In fact, I'm guessing why some of you are here today is because you want to be touched. I don't mean to get weird, but you came to church and you're like, I, want, I come to be touched by God, right? If I'm not touched by God, what's the point? Touch is significant, especially in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, earlier this spring, I was rereading the Gospels, kind of with fresh lenses, just asking God to, you know, show me insights into the ministry style of Jesus. And I mean, here was a guy who claimed to be God, and people were drawn to him. They were, Jesus was magnetic, okay? People jockeyed to get close to Jesus. They wanted to touch him, to be near him, to get a peace. And it's no exaggeration to say Jesus had a very high-touch ministry. I want you to see this for yourself. So take your Bible, our campuses. Open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. That is the first book in the New Testament. And as I was reading, this sequence of events I'm about to show you kind of leaped off the page to me. See if you can't connect the dots, kind of find the recurring theme. Jesus began his public ministry in Israel at 33 years old. So if you're, you know, it's never too late here. And his message was very simple. It was the kingdom of God is at hand. Which simply meant that the, the, the king's dominion, God's dominion, where God pervades reality, is right here close to you. God's going to break forth in a whole new way you, and you encounter me. That was a brand new message that Jesus preached, okay? That God wasn't angry at people. That he actually loved them. And Jesus said, he sent me to forgive your sins, give you a whole new life. This is a fresh message. It's good news. And Matthew says, people began to be drawn to Jesus to touch him. A man with leprosy, dreaded disease actually came up and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. Make me clean. And you know what Jesus said? Matthew 8, verse 3, it says, Jesus reached out his hand, and what's the word, church? Touched him. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. And people are like, whoa. Now that we haven't seen before. (laughs) First off, ain't anybody touch a leper, okay? That is a contractible disease. It's actually terminal. And Jesus simply reaches out, and he, and he touches the man, and immediately he's cured. In other words, the power of God's touch on somebody's life. Now, skip down to verse 14. It says, when Jesus visited Peter's house, his mother-in-law was laying in bed with a fever. And it says, Jesus, what's the word here? It says, Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left. And then she got up and began to, to wait on him. Do you want a snack? Woo! I mean, what do you, t- what do you typically do when you have a fever, right? Jesus is like, so forget the Tylenol, <laughs> Forget the Advil. Jesus just touches her hand, and immediately the fever's gone. Not only that, but it says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. And it's like, whoa, something's going on here. Just the touch from Jesus, just the sound of his voice, and he tells the demons to go to hell. Whoa. What happens when God touches down? Lives are transformed. And it just goes on from here. Verse 20, Matthew 9 says, just them, a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, chronic condition, came up behind him and what? Touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. In other words, it wasn't just Jesus touching people. People reached out and touched Jesus. And it says, Jesus turned and saw her take heart, my daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was what? Healed from that moment those of you with chronic conditions you've been struggling with something for maybe over for years maybe over a decade this was 12 years this woman had this bleeding issue just the power of touch imagine if this happened today that word got out around the east coast the united states spread to europe That there's this man claiming to be god who could literally heal your body with the touch of his hand i guarantee this would go viral on youtube okay And it just just keeps going. Five verses later, it says two blind men were following Jesus and begged for mercy. And it says, then he, what's the word here? Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was, boom, restored. Suffice to say, Jesus had a high-touch ministry. His touch was restorational he came with this message that the kingdom of God is here. There's power in this room. I have power to forgive your sins. I want to heal your broken lives too. I want to transform you with the touch of God. Is it any wonder that people call this the good news? Matthew sums it up this way. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages preaching the good news of the kingdom in what? Healing every disease and sickness, preaching and healing the word, then the works. Jesus both proclaimed the gospel. There's a new reality, and then he demonstrated it. The question is, does God still touch lives like this today? What do you think? Show, oh, okay. Show of hands. How many of you have actually witnessed a miracle firsthand? Okay, you've seen. Wow, that's more than I thought. Praise God. That's incredible. Some of you are just looking at those people right now. And you're like, oh, I'm sitting next to a freaky deaky. That's that's crazy. <laughs> Uh, maybe you've seen a, a sign, a miracle, a wonder where God's spirit actually touches a person and something in their life is miraculously restored. The second question is this. How many of you believe that God can still touch lives that way today? Okay, all right. See, see how you, that's great. that's great. About 50-50 in this particular room. See, how you answer that question depends on the type of glasses you are wearing today. Look around right now. People are wearing glasses and everyone in this room. Whether or not you can see the fingerprints of God in this modern world depends on the type of glasses you're wearing see every person at all of our campuses is wearing a pair of glasses right now i understand you may not see it but each of us has like a set of lenses through which we view the world it's called a world view this is not something that you choose it's something you grow up with okay it's a way of viewing the world that we learn from our parents or our schooling or our culture or religious upbringing okay and depending on the world view that you grew up with the glasses that you view the world through it actually impacts whether or not you see the power of God to perform miracles, signs, and wonders. And it impacts whether or not you really believe in your heart. Not just your head, but your heart, that God still touches lives today. Growing up, the pair of glasses that I, that I was, was given uh, as a boy were, didn't really leave room for the miraculous. I'll just be candid with you. These supernatural parts of the Bible they seem to defy supernatural explanation, you know, just kind of a rational explanation, I should say. And I grew up in a very conservative evangelical church for which I'm actually very grateful. It's where I learned to love Jesus. We took the Bible as seriously as you can. We studied scripture, memorized it. It's where I get my trove of Bible knowledge to share with you today. But it is, a, candidly, a world that valued intellect and reason above everything else. From an early age, I was told, don't base your relationship with God on feelings, but on facts, okay? And that's a strength of many evangelical churches. We have a high view of Scripture. We, we're about clearly communicating doctrine. Here's who Jesus is. Here's how we know He's God. We think rationally and analytically about God and how we engage the world. However, we didn't have much room for passages like these in Matthew. I mean, we read and we studied them word for word as historical record, but we were more comfortable with the morals of Jesus than the miracles of Jesus. Because we could could reach out and explain the morals and the principles of Jesus and the good life, but nobody acted like someone could actually perform a miracle, which made it very difficult at times, especially when I first discovered that over half of the three gospels are dedicated to the subject of healing. Awkward. Over 40% of the entire New Testament deals with healing. The Bible is just like full of signs and wonders and miracles, and Jesus says, I tell you, once I leave, you're going to do even greater things than these. He says that to the disciples. Yet we would read this as if it wasn't really there. Not because of lack of faith, but because, see, I'm a child of, of maybe like you, of the Enlightenment, that values scientific explanation over supernatural revelation. I'm not alone. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of our nation, he actually made his own Bible. Did you know that? Which reflects this intellectual bias. This is a picture of the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson actually took scissors and took a Bible and he cut the Bible up and cut out every mention of an angel, a demon, or a miracle, including the resurrection of Jesus. Because he didn't believe in the supernatural. And so the Jefferson Bible, you can see today, he took the rest of the verses, pasted them together in chronological order, and then he said, that's the word of God. And he labeled his book, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. So he cut out the supernatural. You know why? Because those are the glasses with which Thomas Jefferson saw Jesus. He had a naturalistic worldview That could only see what was explainable. See, sometimes glasses, worldviews can be like blinders. They restrict our view of actually reality of what faith can do. Now, to be clear about this, we were not in that extreme in my church. But there was definitely an unspoken bias that I picked up very quickly in our little evangelical circle. It simply had no place in my experience for the spiritual gifts that were described, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Gifts of healing words of knowledge where god gives you supernatural insight miraculous signs speaking in tongues i had never seen them demonstrated in like ways that were like (laughs) non-hyped you know and that aroused suspicion and i didn't have a worldview to see it so i just ignored it and that's how a lot of evangelicals read the bible today they either skip these passages because they don't really have a theological framework or they spiritualize the works of jesus like so okay so jesus healed the blind man well you know we're all blind to certain things in life And we spiritualize accounts like these. So it was no surprise I never witnessed the miraculous in our church. You know why? We were the frozen chosen. We sat there, man. We just did not respond. When worship went on, you're just sitting in there real carefully. Don't let your feelings get out. Do not raise your hands. There's like a force field at your belt buckle. You can do this, but don't do this, all right? When you pray, don't get, like, too, like, bold or risky. I mean, we prayed for people to be healed all the time, but it was never like Jesus. Jesus was like, I command you to leave. I command you, spirit of infirmity, get out of her. Be healed. We didn't pray like that. For 20 years, the most powerful prayer I prayed was, Lord, guide the surgeon's hands. And that didn't often turn out well either. (laughs) Can, can I see your hand if you relate to that worldview, You come from a similar background, okay? Maybe you're conservative like the Brethren. You grew up formal mass, Catholic, something like that. See, that, okay, that's, that's, how, that's how you see things today. That is not an inferior faith. It's just simply the lenses you were given when it comes to viewing faith. Well, as I said, I wore these glasses dutifully for about the first half of my life, 20 years. Went off to an evangelical school, Wheaton College. Very similar lenses. And at Wheaton, I met my wife, Colleen. And uh, at first, candidly, I'll just be honest, I was drawn to her East Coast hair she had that big hair out there in the midwest and we started dating and the flag went off for me when we came home for thanksgiving break to visit because colleen invited me to her childhood church which was a charismatic church in the bronx it was a yes oh happy clappy it valued okay this is a pentecostal church that was all about shaking and baking in the spirit and I quit. it didn't take me long to realize they had a very different set of lenses to the view of Jesus in the Bible, okay? First off, worship went on forever. Uh, the guy, I will never forget this because we sat there, and the guy, you know, he's playing his guitar, and he's pulling out, like, you know, like those overheads and putting them on overhead projector. And he started with one, and he's like, no, 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 that's not right, spirit. And he puts another one on. And I lean over to and I'm like, I think he's winging it. And she's like, oh, yeah, this is, and it just goes on. And then I open the bulletin. There's no order of worship Okay, there's no notes for the sermon. I'm like, woo! And then right as the pastor gets up to speak, someone in the very back of the room starts talking like David Lee Roth. Humla zeepala bibla bop. (laughs) What the? What? And I remember looking at Colleen, and she's like, oh, that's perfectly normal. He's speaking in tongues. And I'm like, what is happening here? And people got up, and they moved about the cabin, which was very unnerving, okay? Because evangelicals are called the frozen chosen for a reason. It, emotion, ah! We like intellect and predictability. And charismatics are all about emotion and spontaneity and who knows what else, okay? There was no time limit on the service at the end. Of, like, it was like you know, a half dozen people received Christ. And the pastor goes, everyone sit tight for about 30 minutes. We're going to have a baptism service right now. And I'm like, what the... I feel the spirit saying, let's go to lunch, okay? I am hungry. (laughs) Show of hands, how many of you can relate to this, all right? That worldview, you come from that background, you're familiar with it, okay? Some of you are like, what did I just walk into, all right? I was very cynical and suspicious of all that because I was raised to be taught that emotional expression in church can sometimes be like the spiritual hype and it be manipulative. So if we were the the frozen chosen, they were the happy clappy, hallelujah, (laughs) woo, can you feel the spirit of this one? Yet I couldn't deny something, that my wife and her mother had experienced a miraculous transformation at that church. I couldn't deny it. Colleen's mother gave birth to her at age 18. They'd gotten into uh, drugs, a lot of bad stuff at that time, and uh, entered this church, which preached the gospel that God can forgive your sins in a moment, give you a fresh start, but watch this, can fill you with his spirit and give you power to live an entirely new life. And I, she, I couldn't deny it. My wife not only had received Christ, she'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one of the reasons, candidly, this is the only reason that my wife is, is normal. Because that little crazy storefront charismatic church in the Bronx that believed, that believed that God still had the power to reach out and touch a life. And I am indebted to that church to this day for my wife. It's truly a miracle. And it was the first time that I entertained this thought like, what if, what if this stuff is real? What if what Jesus did and how he ministered in power really was the model for how we're supposed to minister today? And it created this tension in me. Maybe you feel it right now, yeah? See, right now in this room, all of our campuses, there are two types of people right now squirming. Some of you right now, there, there's a group of people thinking, oh, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are we going to get all weird and wacky? Okay. This is exactly what I didn't want. I didn't sign up for Looney Uh, this is, this is where liquid jumps the shark. I'm not coming back next week to this. Or, okay, someone else is sitting here thinking, it's about time. we got to create room for the Spirit to shake and bake and rattle and roll. And you are pumped, okay, because you're like, now it's church. You are probably sitting next to that person in your row. Who at this moment is having the exact opposite reaction of you. And I love that. You know why? Because that's exactly where Jesus ministered smack dab in the middle of this tension. Just take off your glasses for a minute, okay? And go back 2,000 years. Take off your glasses. I want you to imagine, okay? Close your eyes, close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes, close your eyes. It's not going to get weird. Just close them for a minute, okay? (laughs) Imagine you hear about this man named Jesus that anyone who touches him is being healed, okay? And you're suspicious, okay? You've heard of faith healers before, but you're curious like everybody else. And so you go with your friends. We're going to go hear this guy talk. He's making an appearance in galilee by the decapolis eyes closed okay mark 7 says there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged him to place his hand on the man all right now i need a volunteer okay i need a volunteer who wants to come up on stage can i get a volunteer let's make this easy dave come on up here a minute okay dave again let's just imagine come on up here dave Imagine you are in the crowd and there, there's this man who is deaf, okay, is brought before Jesus. And Jesus says, my son, I see you have a need for a haircut. I see. <laughs> Let, let's say, follow. Let's, let's stick with what scripture says here, okay? It says, after he took him aside, okay, he sa- away from the crowd, it says, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. So I'm just going to, is that cool? Okay? You need a Q-tip, dude. This is a little bit close. closer. Comfort, right? Can you hear anything? Okay, great. Okay, here we go. Now, now, this comes my favorite verse. Are you ready for this one? Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. <laughs> Open wide, baby. Here we go. Okay, this, uh, he looked up to heaven. What did Jesus say? And with a deep sigh, he said, a fafta. okay? Which means be opened. And at this, stop here, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed, and he began to, s- to speak plainly. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to say? Not now. Not now? Okay, right. Because, of the hair. Be, because they, be honest right now. Just be honest for just a minute. How would you react if that just happened in this room? It'd freak you out, okay? Mark says people were overwhelmed with amazement. He said he He even makes the deaf hear in in, in the mute speak. Here's my question to you, Sarah. Here, Dave, would you be amazed? Would you be amazed, filled with joy or suspicious and cynical? That stuff doesn't happen around here. I mean, could this still happen today? Can God simply touch someone born deaf and dumb, and by the power of touch, open their ears? I want to show you a video from YouTube that now has over eight million hits. It is of a 29-year-old girl who was born deaf. And eight weeks ago, she received a hearing implant. And this is going to catch you off guard. It is surprisingly emotional. But I want you to imagine this was your daughter, who's been deaf her entire life for 29 years. And suddenly she hears her own voice for the first time. It's like so close. So now technically your device is on. (laughs) Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting! Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. (laughs) What does it sound like? (laughs) don't want to cry. Can you hear me? Can you hear your voice? <laughs> Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. Well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> My laughter sounds <laughs> loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear your husband say something? <laughs> it's incredible isn't it i want you to imagine witnessing that firsthand do you know why jesus performed miracles i was taught well it's just authenticating evidence that he is the son of god it's proof of his deed you know what matthew says in verse 36 When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion, the Greek word for that is splagnosomai, which means you feel it in your guts you see how someone's hurting and the needs that they have and you're moved you're moved in your in your bowels that's literally what it means that's what biblical comp- compassion is have you ever felt that way when you see somebody in need last night my um my life group we went out on the relief bus to uh, to serve the homeless on the streets of patterson just powerful really really cool and we're out there on the streets of Patterson, the 4th Ward, epic poverty. It's 10 o'clock at night, and this 8-year-old boy named Nazir <laughs> comes. He's like, hey, he wants to play football. And we're like, what are you doing out here? Do you have any parents? He goes, no, my dad's in prison. And my mom, I don't know where she is. She's, she's probably out there. And we're like, what's out there means, you know, she's using. We realized, you know, on drugs. And we're standing there, and, and there, there are all these street people just kind of coming because we serve them soup, and we serve them bread and hot chocolate and stuff, and it was a cold night. And this one man makes his way up. He looks like he was in his 60s, but he's really 45. His name was Mac, And he's getting his soup, and he says, you guys do rehab? And I was like, y- y- uh, like yeah, because we help connect them with detox centers. And I said, what, what, uh, what's your situation? He goes, well, I'm a, I'm a heroin addict. I said, okay, well, how long have, have you been using? 14 years. Starts eating his soup. But I got to get clean by Monday, man. Starts eating. I was like, what's Monday? <laughs> he goes, that's when I see my son. My son's in college. He plays basketball. He made it out of here. I said, what, what, what college is he at? And he's crazy. He just goes, he goes, uh, 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 fr- uh, fr- fricking Dickinson. You know? <laughs> I go, uh, okay. Fairly Dickinson? He goes, yeah, that's, that's, it. <laughs> And so we bring him into the bus, and we, we have a whole protocol to kind of interview and get him connected with drug rehabilitation. And he said, the reason I have to get clean, he goes, is because I'm going to be dead in a year. He goes, I can't get out of this. He says, if I don't use, he goes, I'm, I'm angry, and I don't want to be around anybody. But when I use, man, I'm talkative, and people, you know, everyone's my friend, but these streets are going to kill me. So I got to get out from Messiah. He said, who's Messiah? He goes, that's my son. I got his name out of the Bible that seat and at 10 o'clock it was time for our bus to leave so we put all the soup back in it and we put the windows down and nazir the eight-year-old boy walked off in the darkness and so did mac this 45 year old heroin addict who for a moment said can you help me and i was struck splagnid Zomai, I felt it in my guts. And I was like, is there anything we can do beyond the natural, getting him into rehab, helping connect him with foster services? But is there anything that God you could do for that boy's orphan spirit and for this man who is in bondage to addiction? Have you ever felt that way about people in your life? Do you have friends? Do you have family? The people that you see, and you're just like, you see what they're going through, and you have this visceral response. That's why Jesus touched people, because he was moved. And he didn't care what background or denomination they came from. He simply had love for them. He saw their suffering, and he he said, I'm going to release the raw power of God and touch your broken life. Growing up, my, um, with my rational, naturalistic grid, I could understand that YouTube video we just watched. A, 10, a 29-year-old girl born deaf, she gets a hearing implant. The power of technology. <laughs> but in Mark 7, that ain't part of the equation. It is not high-tech. It is all high-touch. It is the raw power of the Holy Spirit being unleashed by Jesus. 2,000 years ago, the biblical worldview was undeniably supernatural. And candidly, I don't like it. Something in me bristles against it. I prefer the sterility of a modern doctor's office and the wonders of a biotech lab. I pray for people that the chemotherapy would work. Because I can get my mind around that. But sticking your fingers in the ears of a stranger, spitting on their tongue, no thanks, Jesus, this is moving a little out of my comfort zone. And I have to ask myself and ask you, could you actually open your heart and your mind to the possibility that God wants more for this church? That God actually wants to touch people, your family, your friends, people like Mac and Nazir, who are actually struggling with illnesses and addictions and frailties. I mean, could we handle this at Liquid? What what would we do if a report came back from Nutley that Pastor Chris and and the prayer team were praying for someone after the service and this woman who came, who walked in deaf, walked out hearing and just praising God as a church. Would we be amazed or embarrassed? Like, that's not how we roll, okay? We we didn't sign up for that. God, get back in your box. Be honest. Was your heart ready for that? For the spirit of Jesus to actually show up and amaze us and touch people in ways that we can't actually predict and control. Candidly, I'm like, Lord, give me more faith. And candidly, I'm ready for more. I turned 40 this spring, and uh, I feel like I'm ready for the second half because I have this growing desire to see God. Build a bridge between both worlds, taking the best of both, of the sound doctrine of evangelicals combined with the Spirit's power that's expected to break through at any moment by our charismatic brothers and sisters. In fact, that's how I found myself at Princeton University earlier this spring with my new friend, Robbie Dawkins, okay? Robbie is an amazing man. He is a huge man. He's 6'5", over 300 pounds. He looks like Bam Bam Bigelow. In fact, he's the pastor of an evangelical church. Out in Aurora, Illinois. He planted it in the inner city because he said, Jesus is closest to the poor, and I want to be close to Jesus. And so he has seen gangbangers and hookers come to Christ in this church, but now he travels actually around the states to train church leaders in the realms of healing and power evangelism. And so I heard he's coming to Princeton University to give a lecture Do Supernatural Gifts Exist Today? And this was right at the time of our fast. You guys remember this? It was kind of this time that God began stirring up this hunger in me for more for our church, and I thought, perfect. Okay, what better moment to see the collision between these two worlds, okay? Princeton is like this bastion of Ivy League intellectualism, okay? This is Einstein's classroom, okay? Started out as a seminary, but like God is out of the classroom. They are skeptical of religion, let alone claims to see the supernatural. So I'm like, I'm going down to Princeton because I want to see the smash-up. And I arranged to have breakfast with, with Robbie, and I met him in the Tiger's Den, which is, this, is this kind of this pub from like the 1920s where Einstein used to be. And I go down, down and sit across from Robbie. And he's like, so tell me about your church. And I'm like, well, you know, the it Liquid. And he's like, oh, great, man, that's cool. And then we're talking and, and, and everything. And I go, so just, can I be candid? And I shared a little bit of my background. I said, there's part of me that has a real hard time. There's like this gap of belief. I want to believe, but I, I have a hard time. So tell me how this works. What, what do you actually do and everything? He's like, well, I'm just, I just try to stay in tune with the spirit to what God's doing right now. And I'm like, okay, so what are your three pointers then of how you do that? And he goes, well, I, I, I don't have three points. In fact, miss, could you just come here? Just come here, ma'am. And he calls the waitress over because we're having breakfast. We're eating eggs and, and coffee. And, and the woman comes over. She's like, hi, oh, yeah, you know, as a waitress. And, and he goes, is, is your name Doris? And she's like, oh, how did you know that? And he's like, I just looked at the name tag on your. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK, this isn't prophecy. OK. And he goes, he goes, Doris, I just have to ask you a question candidly. Did you have any sort of back pain? And she just goes, how did you know that? And I'm like, what is happening? And he goes, candidly, Doris, it might, this is my friend Tim. Let me introduce you. I'm like, hi. And uh, he's like, my friend Tim and I are having breakfast here this morning, but it wasn't just because we were hungry. I think God has us here because he wants to show you the love of Jesus. And she's like, okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, um, and he goes, like this. He goes, so you've had back pain? She goes, yeah, candidly, I couldn't like even bend over. I have this chronic kind of sciatica condition, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and he goes, like this. He goes would, you, would you mind if I just pray for you right here? And she's like okay, we are in the middle of Princeton, and there's diners all around. And so he goes, can I just put my hand on your back? I don't want to freak you out. He was very, very cordial about it. She goes, yeah. And he puts his hand on her back, and he says, in the spirit of Jesus right now, Father, I know you want to show Doris your love. And I know, Father, I want you to confirm for how much Jesus just loves her. And so I command you, leave her back right now. Be gone, spirit of infernity coming out of your back. And at this moment, everyone in the whole restaurant stops eating. They're just watching. I'm just sipping my coffee. <laughs> and Doris is standing there still as a statue with her pot of coffee. And he just goes, again, I don't mean freak you out. He goes, just Kentley, how are you feeling? And she goes, I, well, probably about the same. He goes, on a scale of 1 to 10, where were you this morning? And she, and she goes, I couldn't even touch my toes. He goes, I'm going to pray one more time. And he prays one more time. He goes, Jesus, right now, I ask that it wouldn't just be healing for her, but it'd heal her heart. That she knows you love her so much right now, Jesus. And he snaps his face. It was incredible. Because at that moment, she just goes, okay. And he goes, is there any different?" She goes, like I said, I couldn't touch my, my, and she goes, would you just right now try to touch your toes? And she goes, yeah, but I couldn't even do it. What'd you do? And I was like, what'd you do? <laughs> what is happening? I don't have a box for this, Robbie. And he goes, I didn't do anything. He goes, the father wanted to show Jesus' love to his daughter, Doris. He said, Doris, you have an incredible story to tell today. You'll never know my name, but you'll know this. Jesus of Nazareth just touched you and healed you. And she's like, okay, do you want more coffee? And she pours coffee, and we watch her, and she goes back to the kitchen. We just see her talking with other waitresses, and we see this woman peeking out of the kitchen, just like, they're looking and everything like that. And we spent the rest of the day walking around the Princeton campus with Robbie, the gentle giant. And he prayed for all sorts of people. Some people, candidly, were resistant. Some were simply grateful that they were like, you'd care enough to actually pray for me. It's actually surprising. Unbelievers are so receptive to people praying for them, more so than many believers are. (laughs) And it was amazing. Here we are in the seat of intellectual unbelief where it's all about wisdom and learning and knowledge. And this giant of a man with this humble heart begins literally, he's like, we're going to bring the kingdom right now. And I, I I'd be candid. I returned home shaking my head. I am still processing what I I, I saw there because traditionally there has been a dividing line between these two camps that have contradictory values. Is, is, is ministry supposed to be about telling the good news or showing God's power? Growing up, this was presented as a binary choice. Which camp do you fall into? Because charismatics are all about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where you get the name Pentecostal from. The Holy Spirit comes in power at Pentecost. Signs, miracles, wonders, speaking in tongues, diseases healed, demons are cast out. Charismatic people typically emphasize the demonstration of God's power. They want to demonstrate the kingdom. Whereas evangelicals, you can see in the name, emphasize the evangel, the good news, the gospel. They focus on preaching the message of salvation. You can have your sins forgiven by faith in Jesus... And it's primarily about preaching and proclaiming God's truth. Sound doctrine, evangelism. It's about proclamation of the gospel. And the choice I was always given, which camp is it? Is it about proclaiming God's word or demonstrating his power? What if it's both? What if it's the best of both worlds? Again, look at the ministry of Jesus, which illustrates the genius of the and. I want you to see this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, read this out loud, liquid, preaching the good news of the kingdom, proclamation, and what? Healing every disease and sickness. Notice for Jesus, it's not a matter of either or. You can either tell the good news or show God's power. He sent them out to preach the gospel and heal the sick. I want to demonstrate what the gospel can do to your life. Jesus did both. Why? Because he was both God and man both spiritual and physical. He, there, in salvation, he offers is for both the spirit and the body. Any group or ministry candidate that emphasizes just the soul to the neglect of the body or just the body to the neglect of the soul is in danger of missing Jesus' full gospel. When you spend time taking Jesus at face value, you see him always embracing the best of both worlds. That's what the disciples did. It says when Jesus had called the 12 together, he sent them out to do what? Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Proclamation and demonstration. It's a theology of both word and works. The word illuminates the kingdom. This is what God is like. The work demonstrates it, illustrates its power. Throughout the gospels, this was Jesus' MO, his modus operandi, time and time again. Look again, you've got chapter nine of Matthew open. Famous passage, you're gonna see these things differently now. This guy who's who's paralyzed comes, his friends bring him before Jesus. He can't walk. And you know what Jesus says to him? They bring him for healing. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I'm imagining standing in this crowd being like, what's he talking about? The guy didn't ask for forgiveness. He wants his legs fixed. But Jesus goes to the heart. He says, you got to have spiritual healing with God before there can be physical restoration of your body. He had a holistic view of humanity. He said, I want to first give you spiritual healing. Your sins are forgiven. And you know what he said? Now get up and take your mat and walk. And it says, and the man got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. You understand why Jesus caused a ruckus? You understand why Demons parted and the religious church people were scandalized. The cripple dances down the street. He wasn't only forgiven by Jesus. He was touched by God's power. He proclaimed the kingdom and then he demonstrated it. It's show and tell. Do you remember this from kindergarten? You guys remember show and tell from kindergarten? Hello? Tell the truth. You need Christ to forgive your sins. Now, show its power. Physical restoration. Be healed. Which is greater? Show and tell. They're both miracles. Word and work go hand in hand in the gospel. They are not competitive. The word of Christ illuminates the kingdom. The work of Christ illustrates its power. That's the genius of Jesus. And I'm trying to tell you today that it's time for us to recover a holistic view of ministry. Jesus never asked his disciples, so uh, which camp do you identify with? Which denominational background do you, are you evangelical or charismatic or Catholic? His tent was wide enough for both. The only thing you had to do to enter was humbly admit that you don't have all the answers and take the posture of a learner and say, Jesus, give me fresh eyes to follow wherever you lead me. Now, I know right now some of you have alarms going off. (laughs) Okay, I'll just be honest. We got red flags going everywhere. And it just needs to be said, there are extremes on both of these sides. Uh, Some of my charismatic brothers and sisters, candidly, they act like it is God's will for every single person on earth to be healed. And that could be hurtful. I have a friend who, um, his brother has a brain tumor and developmental problems, had that at birth. And um, his mom went to church, and they prayed for his miraculous healing that the brain tumor be gone. And when it didn't happen, they asked his mom, why don't you have enough faith? She said, I I have more faith than anybody. I want to believe that God can do this. Well, if you don't have enough faith, there must be hidden sin in your life. What's blocking God's power? Can you imagine how injurious that is? that poor woman. She never went back to church again from that day. Never went back. Still loves Jesus. Never going back. Candidly, that is not what biblical healing is about, as you're going to see next week. Not everybody gets healed. Even Lazarus eventually died. We have to have a theology of pain, the cross, as well as a theology of power, the resurrection. I'm going to talk more about this next week. But that kind of charismatic excess caused a lot of evangelicals to swing to the opposite extreme and kind of sparked what it was called the sensationist movement, which basically says signs, wonders, miracles all ceased after the original apostles died. The early church was established. And there were, the, those were authenticating signs that Jesus was Messiah. But that stuff ceased. It doesn't happen anymore today. The problem is, is that Jesus didn't just perform miracles to prove he was God's son. He did it to demonstrate the father's, his heart, his compassion. That he loved hurting people. And my question is candidly, coming from that background, when you die and stand before God, would you rather have him say, You believe too much or too little? What would you rather have? Jesus says, You don't receive because you don't ask. Ask anything in my name of the Father. On Thursday, a friend, a brother in our congregation here at Liquid emailed me this, and it was a medical document, it's it's his CAT scan. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer eight months ago, and, uh, and we prayed for him, and he and his wife have been fasting and praying, and he said, Tim, as you can see, there's almost complete remission from this cancer. This is without any conventional treatment. Needless to say, my wife and I are overjoyed, and we can't help but think that we've been touched by the healing hand of God. Again, thank you, thank you for your prayers, and this church, without it, my life would be a journey of desperation. Eight months, they've been praying and fasting, and he says, God healed me, okay? that's amazing all right that's amazing my my dad has cancer that that full healing that hasn't come i know god's going to eventually heal him because no more pain no more sorrow but when god breaks in it's called a miracle because that stuff doesn't doesn't happen all the time and that he'd remiss my brother's cancer and and i read that and i'm some of you are like well you know it's eight months maybe he changed diets and did some physical thing what I'm saying, folks, is this. As your pastor, as your lead pastor, I am not interested in our church going to either extreme. I don't want to see us on the fringes and get sidelined into these theological debates or swing wildly in one direction or the other. That's why I wanted to do this touch series this fall, to help build a bridge between both worlds that we can actually walk across. That's that literal. Could we hold fast? Could we do this as a church? Could we hold fast to the truths of the gospel on one hand, while opening our other hand to allow for diversity of practice in secondary things like healing prayer. I, I just I wanted you to know this, that I'm sniffing around this stuff. I'm kind of like an information gathering mode, and God candidly he's like prying open my heart from like closed to open because I want more for you. I want more for us, for this church. And that's where I want to see our church travel this fall. Not to the far ends of the extremes, to the fringes, but actually walking across the bridge and embracing the best of both worlds. I want us to model Jesus' view of holistic ministry, the genius of the end, where word and works go hand in hand. And if you worry about that leading to excess, you know what you do? You simply go back to God's word, which counsels this discernment. It says, do not put... Out the spirit's fire and do not treat prophecies with contempt test what everything hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil in other words paul says test everything keep the good toss the rest of it in modern terms you know how we say this chew up the meat spit out the bones that's where we get that phrase from i believe we have something to gain from both traditions and i for one am excited to explore the best of both worlds over the next few weeks Are you? For the rest of this fall, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive very deep into the miracles of Jesus. We're going to take them at face value. We're going to explore the kingdom of God and discuss what that means for us today. And most importantly, we're going to experiment. We're going to make this live. We're going to clear space at all of our worship services at all of our campuses in the weeks to come to pray for people. If you have a need, you will be able to come forward, and we're going to be training lay leaders at each campus to actually pray for people because we believe that God still touches lives today. Amen? Amen. Today I want to give you an invitation to join that fledgling team. Maybe you have a heart for prayer. Maybe the idea of actually coming alongside hurting people and ministering God's love and power to them. Man, you're like, "That, that is my heart. If that is you, I want you to come right up to this stage after I close in prayer. At all of our campuses, come right up to the front of the stage. Your campus pastor is going to be standing up here to receive you and tell you about next steps that we're going to take as a team. You just need a heart to serve and a desire to see God touch lives through you. No pressure, no hype, just a heart like his. Sound good? We're going for the best of both worlds this fall, guys, and this is the beginning. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you right now. You're stretching me in this moment. (laughs) I thank you, God, that Jesus, you are the senior pastor of this church. That's not just rhetoric. Father, we submit to your lordship everything, God. Lord, the miracle of your love dying for us, for forgiving our sins and giving us salvation, and then setting your spirit inside of us so that we would live in the kingdom of God, a new reality on this earth. Father, we pray for heaven, to come to earth. We want more of you. We're hungry for more of you, God, and I pray already in faith for the things that you're going to do through this church as we reach out to touch lives and sacrifice for those who are closest to your heart. Father, we do this all in the good, good, and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and all God's people said together, Amen. amen.